Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I got a very nice message to uh, begin our show this morning. Stephen Walters writing on Twitter to say, I love waking up with Dog Nation Daily on this week because we know it's BA's favorite week because it's Gator Hater Week. Hashtag go dogs. That coming from Stephen Walters. You better be uh, believe that's true, Stephen. We do love this week. We believe in it. Beating up on those lousy, stinking gators is just about the most fun thing we think Georgia can do because we've been saying for a long time that a good Georgia fan is a gator hater, first and foremost. That is why Eddie sits here in our desk. He's the unofficial mascot of Dog Nation Daily. He reminds us every single day just how important it is to beat up on Florida. That is true every year it is especially true here this year and it's with that in mind that we begin today's show because bye week is over now it was a fun week saturday night had a chance to be at the georgia high school football hall of fame watched 20 something former dogs go in there great chance to celebrate with them i truly enjoyed all of that uh, on wednesday with the wonderful time with mark rick at the dog bowl raising money for great causes and it's important during the off week to sort of step aside and do some things like that enjoy those moments with former greats enjoy that time to raise money for great causes but today is the day you sort of get back to work today not that we ever stopped working but today is the day you get your game face back on and you get ready to go for the stretch that's coming up it starts with florida and then it continues with many other intriguing games after that and in fact that's going to be kind of the theme of our conversation here coming up in uh for the next few minutes here because florida is but one of several very interesting things that's about to play out for georgia as you start looking ahead for the next few weeks and let me tell you what's kind of on my mind about this florida game here for a moment uh, i'm going to give you here like i think four reasons why there is a lot of drama upcoming for georgia in the next few weeks starting with the florida game in particular I think this Florida game right now sort of, I don't want to say it flies under the radar, but I think the overall significance of this game has probably not been properly described as of yet. Perhaps it will be this week, but I think thus far it's kind of lost in the murkiness of everything else going on for Georgia here right now. But this game itself should be viewed as a big game because I believe that it is. And big for reasons that go beyond it just being a rivalry. First of all, if you saw the Associated Press Top 25 yesterday, while Florida remains unranked, it was the first team of those uh, you know, also receiving votes. So it, you know, it's almost a Top 25-level team, which I think sort of speaks to what Florida has been this year, kind of almost a good team, not quite so good they're on everyone's radar, but also not quite so off the radar that no one should be paying attention to them it is also expected to be a little bit of a closer game for Georgia this year than perhaps you know some of the uh, games have expected to be in the past you know you want to go back and look a year ago Georgia was like what a 23 point favor or something like that against Florida point spreads for this game right now have that game somewhere around two touchdowns or so that's about where this is here at this uh, particular moment so by expectations this game thought to be closer uh, on paper than what it was a, a year ago and for Georgia another chance kind of prove that Georgia can meet expectations on kind of a per game basis here you know if you sort of think that Georgia games this season have kind of continuously been a little closer than they're supposed to be there are numbers that back this up I saw from Brad Powers kind of a gambling expert online here this morning that Georgia thus far this season is just one five and one when covering the spreads or I should say one five and one against the spreads what I mean to say they've only covered the spread once this season failed to cover it five times one push Georgia on average failing to cover the spread by a margin of 5.2 points per game believe it or not there are only five teams in America worse than that against the spread here thus far this season so if you sort of feel like that seems like this year Georgia's been playing the games a little closer than they're supposed to the number there from Brad Powers absolutely speaks to that in a huge way. This game against Florida that's expected to be a little closer than it was certainly a year ago is kind of an example of that when you talk about facing those lousy stinking Gators there on Saturday. But then beyond that, too, another reason why this Georgia game against Florida I think means so much is 
is we're sort of looking at a lot of ends of eras taking place here around this Georgia Florida game here this season a lot of change afoot with the future of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party in some form or fashion and when you look at Florida on the field right now you sort of wonder is this their last season kind of in the category of easy-ish wins for Georgia? The kind of thing where a lot of Georgia fans would travel to Jacksonville expecting this game to be a win, perhaps convincing against Florida. Over the course of the next 12 months, can Florida do some stuff to change that? After all, Florida did get a very big recruiting win on Saturday. We're going to talk more in a moment about LJ McRae, what that means specifically for Georgia. But as far as what it means for Florida, Right now, this is the number three recruiting class in America. This is a game that's already expected to be closer than uh, perhaps last year's game was expected to be and kind of the overall feeling of Florida right now in terms of the high school recruiting, things like that, sort of feels like a little bit of a program perhaps on the rise. Maybe next year when Georgia plays Florida and maybe for the next few years that Florida is kind of back in the category again of being Georgia's biggest game uh, after a couple of years in which that really has not quite been true. Maybe we're on our way back to seeing that be true again all the more reason why Georgia wants to make sure it maintains the momentum that it's had in this rivalry this is one of sort of the high drama things for Georgia coming up over the course of the next few weeks can it prevent Florida from gain, gaining some on-field momentum to match the momentum it seemingly has right now in recruiting. That's one of the things that we're watching closely. But the drama for Georgia extends beyond just what it does in this rivalry game on Saturday against Florida. We don't look past that because we hate the lousy stinking Gators. Every Georgia fan does there as well. But all of this kind of fits into a discussion right now where over the course of the next few weeks, starting with Florida, then continuing after that, Georgia's about to play its most intriguing and its most challenging slate of regular season games and its future opponents for Georgia right now that are getting a lot of the hype so the reason number one there's a lot of drama upcoming for Georgia is obviously starting with Saturday's game against a big hated rival and a chance to strike another blow to the lousy stinking Gators but the second reason why there's about to be a lot of drama for Georgia moving forward is because the teams that Georgia plays after Florida especially after this weekend, they are getting a ton of hype right now, a ton of interest right now, generating a ton of conversation. One of those teams is Missouri. The week after Georgia plays Florida, comes back home to take on a Missouri team that will have one loss and will be ranked solidly in the top 20. And on the SEC Network Saturday night, to give you an idea of the buzz that's already growing for Georgia's next game after Florida, you got Dari Noka and Ben Watson and Chris Doring. They are talking a lot about Missouri and setting the stage for the week after the cocktail party to be quite a hyped game for Georgia at home against Missouri. This is what the SEC Network said about this future opponent, the Missouri Tigers, on Saturday night. Like This is not a good story, right? This is not a team that could give Georgia a surprise. Like, this is a legitimately good football team that the country needs to know about. Yeah, this is not fluky, and I think anybody that's watched Missouri throughout this season understands that this is a well-coached football team. This is a football team that has a good quarterback. If you've got a solid quarterback, you have a chance to win. They are not just a one-trick pony, so when you go up against Georgia in two weeks, I don't think anybody's going to line up and just run the ball against Georgia, but they can beat you with the pass. you got to be aware of their ability to throw the ball down the field with explosive plays, so I, I I can't wait for that game in two weeks so let's keep track of this here right now you've got a georgia team about to play its hated rival florida a lot of stakes here georgia trying to make sure that it goes out and gets another win against the lousy stinging gators perhaps gets a little bit of revenge for lj mccray you know going the way of florida and recruiting and kind of stops what could be some burgeoning momentum for florida with its recruiting process here right now cocktail party going to have a lot of juice around it coming up on saturday as we said sort of a sneaky bigger game than perhaps you realize then after that sec network already hyping up georgia missouri for that following saturday then beyond that you're looking at Ole Miss team that goes on the road wins at Auburn on Saturday a couple of other kind of easy-ish type games kind of on the other side of that and also that's another team when you look ahead the following week that could also be a one-loss team coming into Athens and that game believe it or not is already getting its share of hype there as well in fact Greg McElroy the ESPN analyst has his own podcast and just the same way the SEC Network's like, hey, what do you see Georgia take on uh, one-loss Missouri? Greg McElroy also talking up the idea of Georgia taking on potentially one-loss Ole Miss. Another example of the drama that's building for Georgia over the next month. Here's Greg McElroy. 
And you look at Ole Miss right now, they're kind of the forgotten team, or at least one of the forgotten teams in college football. I don't feel like anyone's really talking about the Rebels, and here they are with games now at home against Vanderbilt and Texas A&M. You guys tell me, do you like them in both those games? Because I personally do. They're going to be sitting there at 8-1 and one with a road trip to Athens. Just saying. So circle that date, November 11th. There's some exciting ones on that date because things are looking very, very good. This was the last real, real big hurdle for Ole Miss as far as being away from home to be able to get to Athens with just one loss on the resume. They might very well be heading to Athens at 8-1, and which would be probably one of the bigger games of the college football schedule. So Georgia's playing Florida on Saturday, but the next two games, the Missouri, the Ole Miss, already getting talked up in a very big way. So if you're keeping score here, two big reasons for drama. Big-time rivalry game, big-time stakes. Second reason for drama, a lot of hype around Georgia's next two home games beyond that. Here's the third thing kind of going on for Georgia right now that I don't think that you should lose sight of here as well, that while Georgia's obviously playing at the moment to go for 3-23, and this is a program that in its own right continues to make history on a weekly basis there as well. And as Georgia kind of pushes its way through this difficult stretch it's upcoming, assuming that it's able to keep winning, it'll have a nice piece of history on its side for doing so. Let me show you this from our friends at the Associated Press. Georgia yesterday, uh, I guess they're our friends. I don't know. I guess you can decide for yourself if you think the Associated Press are your friends or not. But nonetheless, uh, Georgia yesterday ranked number one again in the uh, AP poll. This was the 19th straight week for Georgia to be in the Associated Press as the number one team. It's the third best streak in the history of that poll. And they're only a couple of weeks away from surpassing the Miami team of the early 2000s as the team to be the second longest tenure at number one at the Associated Press Bowl. And obviously, they got to keep wanting to do so. But during the, this difficult stretch, the Florida game, the Missouri game, the Ole Miss game, heading towards Tennessee after that, as Georgia kind of moves through that, if assuming they keep winning, they will then emerge as the second longest tenured team at number one in the history of the Associated Press poll. That to me is kind of amazing. It's the kind of thing that probably hasn't been talked about enough. Perhaps we ourselves are guilty of not talking about that enough, but that's another one of those things that's out there for Georgia. So you got big rivalry game on Saturday, two huge hype home games coming up after that, a chance to make history if Georgia can maintain itself as the number one team in the country. And then finally, there's this. The prize, if Georgia can go through all of this, the prize if Georgia can own the East one more time for the last time here in the 2023 season, you're looking ahead to what might be a gigantic showdown in the SEC championship because Alabama, as you know, beat Tennessee on Saturday. Uh, you may not be able to hear me very well right now because the sound of the Vols fans still crying about the officiating. That's obviously coming out of Knoxville, if you, especially if you live close to the Georgia-Tennessee border. You're probably hearing still a lot of that whimpering and whining. I may have to speak up today a little louder so you can hear exactly what I'm trying to say. But the point is, one way or another, Alabama did win. And so when you look at the drama that's about to unfold for Georgia with a rivalry game, a couple of hyped home games, road trip to Tennessee, chance to make history as the second longest tenured number one team of all time. When it's all said and done, the same way that previous Georgia-Alabama games have felt like big showdowns. At first, won by Alabama, uh, Georgia um, you know, in convincing fashion in the national championship game of 2021. The next big chapter in this series may also take place here this December, and the stakes of this game could be incredibly high as Alabama seems to be figuring at least some stuff out at the right time. In fact, the hype for Alabama is already building for that SEC championship game. Paul Feinbaum, who's previously this year been pretty critical of the Crimson Tide, has now kind of done a little bit of an about-face, changing his mind, as so many of the talking heads on TV seem to do on a frequent basis. And he's now pretty sure that if Georgia can get there, it'll be Alabama on the other side. This is what Feinbaum said about the Crimson Tide on SportsCenter Sunday morning. Book it. Book your reservations for Atlanta. This Alabama team is one of the most resilient I have seen under Nick Saban. In fact, since that Texas game, Randy, I think this may be one of Nick Saban's, if not his best coaching job. Uh, this is not the, the talented Alabama teams we've seen in the past. We don't have Heisman Trophy winners like like Bryce Young or Tua Tungabailoa, Jalen Hurts, Mag Jones. It is a completely different operation, but they dig down deep. Remember yesterday, they looked lost at halftime, down 13. They came back, they stormed back, 
And Nick Saban, I think, has this team in a very good place, a bye week now, LSU in two weeks, and that will be for the SEC West. So the world has kind of returned to normal again. You've got talking heads on ESPN ceaselessly praising and hyping up Alabama. It seems like things are kind of getting back to normal, whether the Crimson Tide does it or not. But the actual point here is, is Paul Feinbaum speaking up the Crimson Tide that way? It gives you an idea of what the SEC championship game could feel like, assuming that Georgia gets itself back there by winning these games over the course of the next few weeks. You know, last year's game, a little bit anticlimactic. No one really thought that LSU belonged in the same field with Georgia. The final result proved that to be true. This year, you could perhaps have a little bit of a different angle around that. So I hope you guys are ready. I'm guessing that you are. Last week, a little sleepy. Last week, a little, hey, off weekish, right? You know, we enjoyed some great time raising money for charity. We celebrated as some former dogs, one of the Georgia High School Football Hall of Fame. But now we've woken up, woken to whatever the verb tense is. We are awake on a Monday morning with our game faces on. Georgia against Florida on Saturday, you know how big that is. Missouri, Ole Miss after that at home, already generating a lot of conversation about those two football games. Then looking ahead to a possible showdown with Alabama, who is certainly and suddenly the darling of the media uh, all over again. The next few weeks for Georgia, the next month, looking ahead to all these games, it is about to be some really fun and intriguing drama. And the mission to go for three in 23 – all of that will take shape in the weeks to come. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Pella Window Indoor of Georgia, and we are happy to have you with us. No matter how you get to us live on video, we start first in 15, 945, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that across all other video platforms and radio, of course, on Athens Sports Radio 960, the ref, podcast, wherever you find them. We are just so happy to have you with us as a part of the program today. And such a big thanks to our friends at Pella, Window and Door of Georgia, for making it all possible. Energy efficient windows and doors. That is what Pella, Window and Door of Georgia is all about. And this is the time of year in which starts to be a little bit breezy at night and the one thing you don't want to feel as you're kind of walking through the house maybe going upstairs or just kind of moving through the hallway there's that little bit of draftiness sometimes you can feel in an older house perhaps sometimes or perhaps a a home that didn't have the 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 best windows and doors when it was built you feel that little bit of draftiness you don't want to feel the outside on the inside this time of year and that's what Pella window and door of Georgia prevents for you it's the superior product it's the uh, product that's viewed to be the best it keeps the outside where it's supposed to be on the outside It keeps the inside feeling the way that it's supposed to be on the inside of your home. Uh, It also increases your curb appeal, which could potentially uh, increase your resale value as well. It's the best way for you to take the best care of something that I know that matters to you, which is the home that you and your family live in. That's why you need to have a consultation right now with one of the Pella experts. It's no pressure. They're not trying to push something on you. They're simply trying to educate you on why for so many years I've been explaining to you that this is the best product for doors for windows for for taking the best possible care of your home why Pella windows and doors are so much better you can even stop by and see them experience center in Duluth and put your hand on the line of products and feel it for yourself recognize the difference for yourself or they can come to you you can also consult with them online virtually if you'd prefer to do that but just make sure when you have that conversation talk about the potential for some great savings there as well because between now and october 28th you can get 10 percent off your entire project or no payments no interest until 2025 so here's what i want you to do stop by and see them in duluth or give them a call 678-638-1429 that's 678-638-1429 you can also visit them online PellaofGA.com slash dog nation. That's PellaofGA.com slash dog nation. All right, we've got John Stinchcomb here coming up in just a moment. Had a great night with John on Saturday, as I said. A lot to also get into with John about the future of Georgia, Florida, what's upcoming for Georgia. We'll cover all of that ground here in a moment. Prior to that, though, I want to go around the doghouse here. And as I mentioned, uh, Georgia got some bad news this week and not unexpected. We did not think the uh, tremendous five-star defensive lineman from the state of Florida in Daytona, LJ McCray, was coming to Georgia. On Friday, I believe we were operating on the assumption that, that he would likely go to Florida State. We did get some somewhat surprising news on Saturday, though, and I'll show you this on the screen here for a moment, that McCray ultimately chose Florida. So as I said, one of the things that makes Georgia Florida big on Saturday is is that Georgia's got to give the slap down and the beat down to Florida on the field to make sure that some of the burgeoning momentum the Gators have in recruiting doesn't kind of bleed into the on-field stuff. And for a guy like Billy Napier, who perhaps is just sort of a DOA coach who 
you know never quite gets his program fully built up you know you don't want to give the chance for that narrative to flip and all of a sudden maybe it was a tough first year but they found some recruiting success and before you know it they were kind of back to winning games at a clip that was at least acceptable in the Dan Mullen era or something like that you want to prevent all of that from happening that makes that game very important on the field on Saturday but beyond that the other big thing you got to address here is is you know what is the future of recruiting at these like premium positions quarterback very best wide receivers very best defensive linemen kind of keeping it on DL here for a moment between LJ McRae who chose Florida you had Aiden Breland who chose Oregon the previous week you want to go back to Williams Winery a few weeks prior to that uh who obviously you know chose Missouri I mean not even hardly bringing up an Edric Houston out of Buford end up choosing Ohio State while Georgia has certainly had a great collection of of recruiting they're the number one recruiting class I don't want to oversell any kind of issue as it relates to Georgia recruiting I don't number one recruiting class even specifically on the defensive line have been a couple of uh, terrific names here in this class Joseph Jonah Janye Jordan Namas I mean clearly there's a lot that's right with Georgia recruiting so I'm not trying to fan the flames of hysteria I'm not trying to make things seem worse than they are but I do think it's fair to wonder okay well how does Georgia operate from a strategic standpoint in terms of its nil budget during a time when it seems like there are certain positions as i said quarterback wide receiver best defensive lineman best pass rushing types that nil is a huge factor and it seems pretty obvious that much like a handful of recruiting battles here during this 2024 class there was an nil number attached to mccray that Georgia perhaps just did not quite want to meet. Well, on Friday's show, prior to McRae making the announcement, when it was thought that he would likely go to Florida State and not Florida, the subject of NIL did come up with Jeff Centel. Now, this is what Jeff said about the whole operation for Georgia right now from NIL standpoint, about what it's willing to do, how it uses its money, and kind of how that sort of fits into the larger strategy here. This is what our recruiting insider Jeff Centel said on this topic going back to Friday's show. You can't switch gears with your evaluation in terms of how you handle NIL in the middle of a cycle. Because let's say Georgia reverses its policy, gets frustrated, and decides to push a lot more chips into the middle of the table for an L.J. McRae-type talent. Then what does that do for guys like Joseph Jonah, John Yeh, and Jordan Thomas in the same cycle? I think if you want to make those off-season evaluations and take a hard look and say, well, When it comes to the five-star defensive linemen in the country or the five-star players, we're going to have to identify and allocate more NIL towards those spots. Well, I think you do that at the beginning of a class. You can't do that when your class is 87% done. For those that think that Georgia is cash poor and going through the couch cushions when it comes to NIL, that's not it at all. What Georgia's NIL is largely about is retention. It is NIL retention, not inducement. That's the way it should work. That's the way it's working at a championship level in Athens. So I think it's important to note a couple of things here. Thing number one is this. Jeff used the phrase cash poor. I think that's a good phrase to use. The idea of does Georgia have the financial resources to keep pace with the other programs in college football? I think the answer to that question is yes. Both publicly available information, the kind of private stuff that people who know somebody who know somebody who know somebody would say – that Georgia has access to NIL that perhaps doesn't make it like the biggest player in the world. You know, that there may be programs that have access to more money, but Georgia is not at a financial disadvantage with its major competitors when it comes to NIL. Important to keep that in mind that, that Georgia, you know, while every program wants to raise more money, we've talked about that before, while every program wants to raise more money, Georgia is not at a financial disadvantage to other programs. But as Jeff pointed out, Georgia's been pretty judicious about some of this kind of stuff because I think that Georgia's pretty aware of locker room balance. The idea, well, so-and-so's getting this amount of money, but here's this guy that just showed up, and he's getting three times that amount of money. Player Y is getting X amount, but player Z is getting 3X that amount. There's potentially a little bit of a locker room balance issue that you've got to be aware of there, and that has the potential to kind of mess up the connection that Georgia has said its players have with each other that money has a way of doing that potentially Georgia's been pretty careful about that and while I believe if we put this out to like a 
a survey of Georgia fans. I believe, if I'm guessing correctly, and perhaps I'm not, but I believe if, I, if, if we put this out to a survey of Georgia fans, I believe the majority of Georgia fans sort of like that as an idea. Hey, let's use money to reward players who've been here, who've accomplished things at Georgia. Let's pay them to keep them. Retention, the word that Jeff used. Let's pay them to keep them. And in a perfect world, that's probably what you would do. But the world's never quite as perfect as we want it to be. We have to operate in the reality as exists, not the reality as we wish that it was. And the reality right now is you have to have elite defensive linemen to be in the national championship business. And let's just say it at a sort of a base level here. Elite defensive linemen are getting more and more expensive. So what do you do? Do you change your NIL philosophy and say, okay, we've got to play the same pay-to-play game that everybody else is, or do you stick to your guns and say, we're still going to be judicious because we don't want some bonus baby showing up making 10 times what the other guys in the roster are doing? I honestly don't know that there's an easy answer to that question, but it's the kind of thing that Georgia has to figure out to remain in the national championship business. There's always been change. There always will be change. This is just the specific change that we're dealing with right now. But finding a way to navigate that change is the job of staying on top in college football, and that's what Georgia's trying to do. Now, there's one thing that potentially makes this a little bit easier moving forward. You know, next year, the 2022 signees will be juniors, theoretically. They'll be juniors. That means your third-year players will have had NIL the entire time they've been in college, the sophomores, the freshmen. So the idea will, you know, because, you know, back channel, you know, people who know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody will suggest that the guys that signed with Georgia prior to the 2022 class, they're actually maybe not getting all that much money in NIL because they came around kind of pre-NIL. The guys who've come since then have just made more money. So next year, George and the other programs in college football the overwhelming majority of the roster will kind of all have come about during the NIL age. And so therefore the kind of comparison stuff won't perhaps be as difficult to, to manage because everyone will have existed in the NIL era. And it'll simply be a reflection of market values to who gets what and who gets paid what that, that may be easier moving forward, but it won't solve all the problems because there are just other programs out there who are willing to spend very, very big on the most valuable premium positions and defensive line is one of those where would Georgia have been the last two years without its elite best defensive lineman not national champions we know that for a fact so moving forward this is a problem to solve not a thing to panic about necessarily because dogs are still on top both on the field and in recruiting but it's always about navigating what's here and what's next and this is a complicated landscape here right now for georgia figuring this out going to be really important it'll be fascinating to see exactly how georgia does that that is around the doghouse here today on dog nation daily there as well i want to talk to john stinchcomb about this more coming up here in just a moment too also before we're done i mentioned a recruiting loss for georgia georgia in another sport other than football also got a very intriguing recruiting win here this weekend which is interesting in and of itself but in a roundabout way it possibly also has an impact on the football team too. I'll tell you exactly why that is here coming up in just a little bit. And we'll also discuss the playoff landscape that seems to be taking shape in and around what's going on with Georgia here right now. That's all coming up before we're done. Very, very busy football weekend that did not include UGA, but it has implications for UGA. So we'll talk about all of that here coming up. But for now, how about a Marlowe's Tavern insider update as we welcome in the freshly minted Georgia High School Football Hall of Famer, John Stinchcomb here on Dog Nation Daily today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Let's say hello to John Stinchcomb here, a guy I got a chance to spend some time with on Saturday. And I believe the ceremony's just coming to an end, but uh, uh, nonetheless, a great time at the College Football Hall of Fame on Saturday as we inducted a brand new class into the Georgia High School Football Hall of Fame. And, you know, John, for me, first of all, it was great to see you go in personally just because I'm such a fan of your career. But it was also great to see you among so many other former Georgia greats. I joked that you know, you and Charles Grant can never be separated, played against each other in college and practice every day, played against each other in practice every day in the NFL for the same teams, the New Orleans Saints, the Georgia Bulldogs, inducted back-to-back there late on a, a Saturday night. But it was – Mike Bobo on hand uh you know 20 something former dogs in in total and just watching the interaction among all of you and seeing that and trying to kind of stay back and not try to get in the middle of it too much and just sort of be 
a fly on the wall for a lot of that it was a it was a truly very special moment for me so i appreciate you being there i appreciated the opportunity to share with you and how was the ceremony from your standpoint it was such a great honor and just to be a part of something that was so intergenerational uh, not only for the university of georgia as we were well represented but across the state and recognize some of the greats that came before us and laid a such a firm foundation for high level of football play across the state and then those that have come after that have carried that mantle and, and continued to press into even higher ground of what competitive high school football can look like it was just a fun evening uh specifically for the university of georgia to be around some of the greats um jarvis jones yeah. and uh, guys that i got to play with like shock and uh, last year's in, inductee terrence edwards sitting next to charles grant like you said uh i don't think there's an individual who's thrown more punches my way uh, <laughs> but he's also a guy that i consider a brother and i love him dearly so uh that's the kind of bonds that you've been able to create because of a fun game and i'm just grateful to have, have had the success that I've had as, as so many others uh, that were recognized on Saturday. Just to be a part of it was truly special. All right, I want to change the subject here to something a little bit less pleasant. And I'm not panicked about this, John, but I am concerned. And to me, it's a problem to be solved, not necessarily a – it's not impending doom. But Georgia did lose a recruiting battle on Saturday. Most people expected they would. But what we're seeing here kind of emerge as a trend is – with certain premium positions, in this case, we're going to talk defensive line. The very best defensive linemen in high school football recruiting are just seemingly getting more expensive. And there's a certain price tag that certain programs have been willing to meet for these very best defensive linemen that Georgia has chosen not to meet. I believe that Georgia's got the money to use however it wants to use it. And this is not how Georgia's chosen to use its money, perhaps because in some cases it's not quite so sure player X is worth such a large sum, or perhaps in other cases because you're not really quite so sure what that does to your locker room balance if a player who's unproven is already making more money, so to speak, than more proven commodities on the roster. But one way or another, whatever the reasoning is that Georgia's chosen to do what it does – You've got to have elite defensive linemen to be able to compete at the national championship level. And so, to me, Georgia's preferred way of operating within the NIL universe is seemingly going to, I guess, be challenged, right, moving forward. How how does Georgia navigate this, John, between the world as it wished that it was and the world as it actually is? How does Georgia navigate this moving forward? Yeah, first and foremost, I think you have to have a strategy and an approach. What we've seen from other programs is if it's individual efforts or or singular sponsors, uh, you can, quote-unquote, buy individual talents and and bring them to your campus. Bring them to your campus. I don't know about retention. That's a word that I heard heard you reference that Jeff Sintel is saying. 87% of this class is, is sealed up in the approach for Georgia has been focused on retention, which, let's be honest, you look across the landscape, much was made of that Texas A&M class a few years ago that, you know, was rumored to be in excess of $30 million uh, either pending or proposed to bring in that class. And you look at the remaining members from that class, and it certainly isn't a full roster that earned that Texas A&M team the quote-unquote number one ranked uh, recruiting class from that season. So I think much needs to be made about retention and identifying talent. Well, as I was talking to representatives of the Capital City Collective last season, it was at the Peach Bowl, and uh, we're, we're in the same uh, box up there watching the game. And Fancy. he made reference to the fact that Georgia pays, you know, 30% or 30 cents on the dollar to what some of these recruits could get elsewhere. It speaks to the fact that the still remaining number one recruiter for these players is I want to be a part of a program that um, can develop my talent. I play on a national level and I'm competing for championships on an annual basis. That is the number one recruiter that Georgia has to offer. Our coaching staff can get you better. 
Our program can put you on a national stage, and we're going to c- compete for championships annually. Uh, in addition to that, a piece of that puzzle is we are not inferior to other programs in what they can offer NIL uh, on the NIL stage. And I think that's been the approach for Georgia. It has found success. Um, it, you're constantly trying to tweak and look at the options that you have and what competitors are doing. But how Georgia is going to be gauged as they are annually is can we bring in the collective, the class that, that will sustain uh, championship level play and we're going to miss out on some individual talents but you look at the overall body of work that Georgia is doing recruiting uh, and and we are second to none to any program across this country on a whole let me tell you one more thing that kind of concerns me about this a little bit which is as a fan and just not just a fan of Georgia but kind of a fan of the sport what you kind of want to be true is like there was a photo last night the Philadelphia Eagles shared, or actually Georgia football shared it from the Philadelphia Eagles. All those you know former dogs getting very well paid as first round picks and you know high level NFL players playing you know for Philadelphia. We kind of obviously all had our time to kind of talk about that. And what you want to be true is, hey, come to a place like Georgia and you may miss out on some money short term, but over the long term you'll be better off for it. That's what you kind of want to be true. However, John, I have to be honest, if my son, and he's probably not going to be, but if he was, you know, one of these guys that was being offered the sums of NIL money that we sometimes hear rumored, but we've heard, you know, of $2 million type stuff, you know, here during this recruiting cycle, at that point in time, as a father, if my son were in that position, I think the wisest choice would to say, take the $2 million now, and who cares if you go to the NFL? Because $2 million in 2023, given the current rate of inflation, that may be about what a first-round pick's worth here coming up three or four years, but it's also just money in the hand that's kind of guaranteed. That, that some of these sums for the very best recruits, it's allegedly getting to such a large number that perhaps it is now more important than who can develop before the NFL because that's kind of life-changing money guaranteed right now. And I think with the sums being as large as they are alleged to be, to be you do kind of have to take that pretty seriously, I think, now. I, I, absolutely. If it were my kid or if it was Charlie and he's saying, hey, there's this opportunity. Now, I think there's some distinctions that need to be made because a lot of these deals are worth up to, right? I yeah, mean, let's right. Let's read the fine print on this because a $2 million pledge over the course of the time you're on campus is different than a $2 million guaranteed in the first year payment. And, um, you know, uh, maybe some of these deals are written up that way. I mean, that was certainly uh, proposed for some of the other programs, whereas I'm well aware that, you know, uh, a, a deal might be worth up to two million, pending the fact that you're yeah. on campus for all yeah. these months. That over the next you know forty eight months or thirty six months, well, that's that's a different case. Um, we are in a new world of college football specifically, and there are motivating factors not only for players to go to specific programs for money. So all this concern years ago of you know, we're going to be able to eliminate pay-for-play. That was garbage. That is empty speech. There is absolutely, it's tied to performance. And, uh, you know, the, the, they opened Pandora's box and hoped that they could keep parameters on it. And they did a terrible job of setting up a structure for that not to happen. So once we recognize this piece, and it's not only on the front end of, of recruiting high school players to come to your program, but it's also on the back end. There are guys that are saying, I'd rather stick around and play collegiate football because I'm guaranteed X amount of dollars, and it's probably more than what I could get to be a fifth, sixth, seventh round draft pick uh, and and go start that clock in the NFL. That's a bizarre world, right? I mean, yeah. that's something that a few years ago was, is inconceivable, but we are where we are. So, uh, I would encourage all those to keep every factor in mind as you're evaluating what your opportunities are. Uh, for my kids, for your kids, what you're wanting for them to do is, is 
take that next step that can lead to success for them. And it's long-term. $2 million in the pocket, I think that certainly helps. There's, uh, you know, I'm in my 40s now. So yeah. what job opportunities exist outside uh, that would allow you to earn $2 million? I, there's few people that I know that would snub a nose at that type of opportunity. And obviously, yeah. if you're just starting out, that's something that should very much be a factor. So, John, I'm fascinated with what comes next for Georgia. It's obviously a huge rivalry game on Saturday against Florida, which I think is probably bigger than it's given credit for. And then beyond that, there's already a ton of hype for the Missouri game, the Ole Miss game. There's a kind of a belief out there. Obviously, Missouri will be a one-loss team. Ole Miss has a chance to also be a one-loss team when it comes to Georgia as well that – it seems like we've been waiting for a while for like the really big games to be here for Georgia, but we've got a stretch of games coming up for UGA where we're, we're, we're really about to find something out about Georgia here, and I can't wait for it. I obviously think that Georgia, even without Brock Bowers, can meet this moment and be equal to this task, but it's going to be fascinating here, John. Where do you kind of see Georgia as being as it moves into – a stretch of games against ranked opponents and and hyped games and and really a lot of attention here. It's about to get real, real for Georgia real fast. Yeah, Georgia's about to earn it, right? They're yeah. the number one team in the country, and you look at this stretch coming up, and now it's their chance to prove it. They are going to go up against really good teams. And for all those at the beginning of the season that looked at Georgia's schedule and said, oh, it's a cakewalk, Welcome to reality because, you know, Florida rivalry game. On the backside of that, Missouri, Ole Miss, uh, you look at the opponents that Georgia will have potentially and probably the SEC uh, championship game, most likely at this point probably an Alabama team that, like you say, has is figuring things out. And they're Alabama and coached by Nick Saban. So uh, obviously a threat. If you get through that gauntlet of teams – then it will substantiate all those rankings, all that discussion about this team being the number one ranked team. And if, if I'm trying to be as unbiased as, as possible, you look at the roster that Georgia has, and that includes a temporarily unavailable Brock Bowers. He's not alone. There's a number of players that may or may not be available I still think that Georgia has the best combination of roster and coaching at this point in the season. So uh, at this point, it's, it's speculation, right? You've got to go prove it, and Georgia has the opportunity to do so over the next month. Hey, let me remind folks, this is our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update with John Stinchcomb here on Dog Nation Daily here today. And, of course, you can become a part, speaking of insiders, of the Marlowe's Tavern Insider Club and take advantage of some great benefits when you do so. First of all, it's free to join. That's really cool. And then just for signing up, you're going to get $10 off your $30 order there at Marlowe's Tavern. Then once you're in the club, you're looking for what are called qualified visits. That means when you spend $15 on food or beverage at a Marlowe's Tavern near you, you earn one of those qualified visits. And then once you get four qualified visits, that gives you the chance to receive a complimentary entree reward up to $20 to be used on your next visit to Marlowe's Tavern. You also get great offers on your birthday and things like that as well. And as I said, it's free to join. So please check out Marlowe's Tavern online at marlowestavern.com. That's marlowestavern.com. And become a part of the Marlowe's Tavern Insider Club today. And by the way, if you go to dognation.com today, right there, at the top a, l- a little bit of fun information about the marlowe's tavern happy hours well including great savings and some shrimp and crab nachos and some great cocktails really fun stuff like that going on at marlowe's tavern each and every day for a happy hour make sure you check all of that out too all right john let's finish with this if you don't mind i'm really looking forward to georgia florida on saturday not just the 11 guys on the field for georgia against 11 guys on the field for florida but also because in some form or fashion this just sort of feels like the end of an era for this rivalry with a lot of uncertainty in future years clearly this is the last time these two teams will be playing as a part of the sec east the division's going away it's the last time the game's going to be on cbs it's been cbs 330 since you were playing it's going to or at least 
for 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 a, a good you know portion of your you know kind of life after that. I guess your senior year it was on ESPN at night. But the point is, is it's been on CBS three thirty for a long time. Uh, that's been kind of a big deal. Moving forward, even if it stays in Jacksonville, the stadium's going to look completely different. Also, the scheduling around Georgia Florida is going to be completely different too. For instance, we expect Georgia Florida to always take place, but that may be Georgia's only permanent opponent moving forward. What do you make about kind of the end of the era here with so much change afoot for the SEC and kind of, I guess, one last time to sort of enjoy the cocktail party as we've understood it? The game may stay in Jacksonville, but gosh, everything else about to feel very, very different. You know, how does all that land with you, all the change that we're about to endure here in the SEC? It's just part of the tidal wave of change that's happening across college football let's uh, let's keep the scope just focused in that space it you know it it is par for the course right now everything is changing the uh, from bowl games college football playoffs conference alignments uh, really you look at amateur sports uh, and how that relates every aspect has been touched and so it's no surprise that such a storied rivalry and unique experience between two teams is also being affected. And, uh, you know, my perspective is, and my approach is let's enjoy it. Let's enjoy, uh, let's enjoy the fact that Georgia's the number one ranked team and back-to-back national champions. Let's enjoy the fact that we're going up against a rival in a fun atmosphere that uh, we, we expect to win this game. And, um, I'm going to approach this weekend as a, a good opportunity to be a part of something that's been really yeah. special for, for our school for a long, long time. John, I think that's exactly right. Very well said indeed. We appreciate you being here as a part of our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update here today. Once again, congratulations on your enshrinement to the Georgia High School Football Hall of Fame. And uh, we'll look forward to hopefully getting a chance to bump into you down there in a Jacksonville here this weekend. And, of course, uh, back here again on Dog Nation Daily very soon as well. Appreciate it, B.A. Go dogs. Great stuff. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I think John says it right, and I don't think it's trite. I think we should all kind of see this. And, by the way, we're seeing a lot of this stuff around the nation right now, too. You know, it's the last year for the Pac-12. Uh, a lot of stuff is about to change. The Big Ten next year is going to feel completely different. The Big 12 already feels very different here right now. The SEC going to look really different moving forward. And the only thing we can do for the moment is just enjoy it. And honestly, I'm not quite so sure things get worse moving forward. College football has a way of enduring and thriving no matter how much, you know, people around the sport seem to want to kind of mess it up. College football thus far has just been so good that it's impervious to being messed up. And perhaps the same thing is true with all this stuff, you know, moving forward there as well. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. But there is something about the sport as we've known it and as we've loved it that is going to feel different. And Georgia, Florida kind of is the epicenter for all of that. I mean, back during the offseason, we talked a lot about the fact that I actually think the game has more life left in Jacksonville than I perhaps realized. But even that won't be the same. They're going to build a stadium down there. I think it was Connor Riley and I that were talking about this on uh, whether it was Dog Nation Daily or Happy Hour this past week. You know, moving forward, that's going to be one of these stadiums that feels a lot more like the SoFi Stadium or something like that where – I mean, there's a chance the out the world's largest outdoor cocktail party is played indoors with a roof over it in Jacksonville sometime in the future. That's going to feel different and weird. And how does that impact Georgia, Florida, as we've understood it? All of that is kind of unknowable right now. But on Saturday, we get the cocktail party the way that it's always been. And after a long number of years in which we went down there and saw disappointment happen, uh, Corey Smith wrote a song about it. <laughs> after that era is kind of now over and done with, enjoying this era for at least one more year, Seems like a pretty good way to spend a weekend, so hopefully you're getting ready to do just that. Now, speaking of some fun in the sun, let's also get ready to go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, because we are all about that here in our program. Of course, looking ahead to the Dog Nation cruise coming up in April. Can't wait for that. Want you to be on board for that. Jessica Slater, great travel agent, specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean. Royal Caribbean believes that a good travel agent makes a great Royal Caribbean cruise vacation even better. 
and Jessica's a great one. Royal Caribbean introduced to us to her, and she's been terrific. So give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also email her, jslater at dreamvacations.com. And you can go to her website that she's made specifically for the Dog Nation cruise, royaldogs.com, to tell you a lot more about what's going to go down in April, leaving out of Port Canaveral, bigger and better than ever before, on an Oasis-class ship called Allure of the Seas, NASA on the Bahamas, perfect day, Coco Cay, more Dog Nation-themed events than ever before, on the largest cruise ship we've ever sailed on for our Dog Nation cruise. What an incredible time that's going to be. All right, for now, let's go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And I think this weekend was interesting from the standpoint that one of the narratives that's been out there, and it seems like we do this a lot in most college football years, more more years than not, we have some version of this. And once again, we've done this in 2023, the narrative that emerges around this time starts to kind of slow down a little bit because what's been said is, oh my gosh, you've got all these undefeated teams and you've got the chance for chaos and you know, the idea that, ah, Georgia could be left out of the playoff. We'll have more of that for our golden shoe later on. You know, uh, people on TV trying to push that. But as we now kind of move towards November, first playoff rankings come out October 31st. As we sort of move towards November, it sort of things, it sort of seems like things might be getting more normal than not. Let's go through this here for a moment. Alabama beats Tennessee, first of all. So Alabama, which begins the year as kind of a playoff contender, loses to Texas, struggles against South Florida, kind of wanders through the wilderness. All of a sudden, they get the win third Saturday in October, and now Alabama's back ranked in the top 10. Clearly a team with some problems, but they're kind of back part of the playoff discussion again alongside Georgia. You've got those two SEC teams that you sort of expect to see. Same thing in kind of the Big Ten, where at one point in time, it's you got three teams ranked in the top four, and Penn State could be the team that kind of breaks through here this year. In the Big Ten, there aren't lots of breakthrough seasons. There's a pretty well-established pecking order hierarchy there, and you don't see a lot of folks ever jump the line. For Penn State, once again on Saturday, they found out how true that was. They lost to Ohio State. Neither team, I thought, looked particularly good, but once again, Ohio State gets over one of its really big hurdles. It remains unbeaten, and once again, you've kind of got two playoff contenders in the Big Ten. So that alone is sort of what you expected the season to look like, and it's kind of getting back to that right now. Georgia and Alabama in the SEC, Ohio State and Michigan, they're in the uh, Big Ten. And I still think there's a possibility. We even said this last week that after all the chaos and all the discussion, you could still be in a situation where two Big Ten and two SEC teams make the playoff, much the way that we've kind of talked about as a possibility for the last couple of years. You could still get back to that here this year. We had kind of a return to normalcy with our games last week. The other reason why that's true is because it now sort of looks like the ACC. Remember, North Carolina loses on Saturday to Virginia in kind of shocking fashion. It sort of seems like the ACC is kind of back to being either Florida State or nobody. And Florida State, by the way, even with Riley Leonard uh, you know, being pretty banged up and not able to be a full go for Duke on Saturday, it still took Florida State a good while to kind of pull away from Duke on Saturday and now the ACC sort of down to Seminoles or nothing in terms of their college football playoff bid Pac-12 is kind of the same situation right now too where I believe you'd say it's sort of Washington or nothing now for the college football playoff there you know perhaps Oregon wins the rematch but maybe they get back involved there but this Washington team that at one point in time was thought to be impervious thought to be bulletproof at least you know something kind of close to that they almost lost on Saturday almost lost to a pretty bad Arizona State team that you know the Pac-12's you know incredibly deep and you know going to be back in the college football playoff maybe it's a couple of teams well as we get you know later into the year we sort of realize oh continuing to win as many weeks in a row as Georgia's done it that's actually not an easy thing to do Washington almost lost on Saturday Texas was lucky it didn't lose to Houston on Saturday in fact probably got the benefit of a pretty uh, bad call in order to to be able to do that that uh, Oklahoma the other team in the Big 12 that has playoff aspirations they were lucky to beat UCF I'd kind of talked up Oklahoma a little bit on our uh, go with the flow on Friday another one of those kind of best bet picks that I ultimately don't get correct here this year uh, they were probably lucky to kind of uh, walk away a winner against UCF Golden Knights really threatened for a good while there in that game that some of these kind of playoff darlings kind of outside the Big Two and the SEC, the Big Two and the Big Ten, they've been talked up a lot. But Saturday was a reminder that actually making it through the grind of a full season, not an easy thing to do. So we'll continue to watch that. We'll continue to see who are the real playoff contenders and who eventually is exposed as a pretender 
we'll have some time to see that. Now, I mentioned officiating a moment ago. Uh, there was the uh, moment after the game on Saturday for Josh Heupel, the Tennessee coach. He was asked about officiating impacting their loss to Alabama. He pauses dramatically to let it be known that he thought the officials had hurt his team, not the fact they didn't score any points in the second half and not the fact that any number of other things you can kind of point out there. It was the officiating that Heupel kind of blames this on. Lane Kiffin, by the way, uh, was involved on social media, always talking about Tennessee online. If I'm an Ole Miss fan, that would probably aggravate me. But Kiffin never stops doing that. He was also kind of echoing the same thing. You know, losers oftentimes find, uh, I guess, uh, solace in each other. Uh, Kiffin kind of joining hands with Josh Heupel. That, yeah, we were one Alabama, if not for those officials. You know, uh, Lane Kevin kind of joining in on some of that there as well. And ultimately, look, if, if you're a Tennessee fan, I'm sure you can point to 15 things that were wrong. I'm, I'm sure you can, right? Obviously. But that stuff just does not travel past the 865 area code. It just doesn't. Uh, nobody outside of Knoxville wants to hear it. Nobody outside of Knoxville wants to care about it because winners are not whiners. And if you're whining but the officiating, that means you're not a winner. And that's all there is to it. So that's the narrative kind of coming out of Tennessee. But they had the game. They were winning at halftime. This would have been a huge win for Heupel. It would have set up Georgia-Tennessee in uh, November to be a huge game. And they just couldn't do it so to me and to most people all Tennessee has to blame is itself but obviously uh trying to point the finger of blame there at the officiating for those dressed in orange uh bad day for Arkansas and unfortunately we have kind of been calling this for a while this is just a program that's having a hard time maintaining that for a while Sam Pittman deserved a lot of credit for resurrecting a Hawks program that had just been more before he got there better in recruiting covering the spread eventually winning some games 2021 was kind of a magical year far better than many of the previous years had been but when you start to kind of rack up some of those close losses eventually it takes a toll on your program and that's what's been going on with Arkansas they lost in ugly fashion seven to three against Mississippi State on Saturday I think some wondered if Pittman might lose his job in the immediate aftermath of that game instead it's his good friend the offensive coordinator Dan Enos who lost his job. I believe that Enos was brought in to try to help the defense because ultimately the thing that has kind of done in Sam Pittman is I think he was really let down by his defensive coordinator Barry Odom is now head coach at UNLV. I think that Odom just was not producing the kind of defensive results the SEC needed. It was a very bad pairing with Kendall Bryles who's a good offensive coordinator but you can't play fast and score a lot of points on offense with a defense that's also giving up basically 10 points for every seven you score and that's kind of what you had going on there and so with the need to kind of win some games hold on to your job I believe they wanted to play at a more deliberate pace offensively as a way of helping out the defense but it just hasn't quite worked out KJ Jefferson I think has been the worst uh you know I guess impact in all this because on paper one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC to begin the season but it has just not worked for him with Dan Enos they have seemingly not really known how to use him and so ultimately Enos loses his job you know this is perhaps a precursor to what also happens at the end of the season with Pittman himself uh but you hate that because you love Pittman at least most Georgia fans do but gonna have a hard time holding on to his job there at Arkansas after a bad loss on Saturday against Mississippi State now listen Pittman got well paid of course you take the job he's built a beautiful house there you know, a lot of folks wonder, well, what would happen to Pittman if he's out at Arkansas? You know, my guess is he's just content to sort of kick back and relax and enjoy himself after making some pretty big bucks here, of course, the last couple of years as head coach. But it seems like the Pittman era is probably on its way to an end there at Arkansas sometime soon. Two other quick stories. Let's do uh, kind of fast here for a moment. First of all, there was a survey that The Athletic did about, you know, certain things well, on ESPN's College Game Day, whatever else. And I guess you say a plurality, I think that's the word you use, a plurality of folks who uh, vote on the survey are apparently not fans of Pat McAfee on ESPN's College Game Day, which I would say for most of my audience, at least the best that I can tell, the majority of my audience doesn't really like McAfee on game day. I've said before, I don't mind McAfee shtick like pro wrestling, which he's been a part of, or like loud mouth on the internet. Like all of that sort of fits in well with that kind of stuff where like the louder the better. But there's a certain like heritage and prestige to like college football programming, even ESPN's College Game Day. And I do not think that McAfee's a good fit on that show. I just don't. I am not anti-McAfee in general, but I don't believe he's a good fit for College Game Day. And I've heard more fans than ever 
just anecdotally talk about kind of tuning out on game day because what a kind of a clown show it's sort of become. Well, McAfee responded to some of this criticism online saying that he hadn't decided yet if he was coming back to game day because he is aware of the fact that not everybody likes him on that show, which I think is kind of interesting. And I think it sort of speaks to kind of a larger thing here for a moment. I think ESPN right now finds itself in a very precarious situation. They released some recent financial uh, statements. We're not really the CNBC style show. We're not going to get too deep into some of that. But ESPN's entire business is built on having enough money to pay the rights holder agreements to kind of maintain the value within the kind of the old school cable TV type structure. And all of that is called into question moving forward. Whether ESPN remains a part of the Disney family, whether ESPN and ABC remain tied together, there's been some talk that, a- that ABC might eventually be spun off here, and how much ESPN can afford to do moving forward. Remember, ESPN spends big dollars on McAfee at a time in which it's cutting millions of dollars in salary on thousands of other employees. And one of the pieces of real estate they wanted to use McAfee for, at least on the basis of this exchange, McAfee acknowledging that about half the people allegedly don't like him on the show. At least one of the big things that ESPN wanted to use McAfee for is already perhaps a failure. Boy, that's a really tough thing to kind of reconcile here, especially when you consider this is the SEC's lone media partner moving forward. And I am not trying to be fatalistic, and I am not trying to be anti-SEC. If anything, I'm the biggest SEC homer in the world. But the SEC needs to be really, really careful, very careful about where it allows ESPN to lead it into the future, because I don't think ESPN knows where it wants to go. And an aimless, rudderless ship like ESPN has the potential, I believe, to do some real damage to the SEC if the league is not careful. And it's not obvious to me right now how careful the SEC is being. One final thing for you here. Another result from the weekend. Clemson loses again. Their record against like power five teams over the course of the last, you know, what essentially amounts to a full season is ugly. And this is a Miami team who I don't think it ever won an ACC home game uh, playing without Van Dyke at quarterback and yet still winning the game. Now, after the game, Dabo Swinney said something about a sports psychologist being on suicide watch or something like that. And everybody kind of jumps on that. Obviously, I take mental health issues seriously, but at the same time, I think some of the outrage at Swinney on this is a little bit kind of put on and fake. Uh, ultimately, the bigger issue is, is this is just not a national championship playoff level program anymore. And it's not even like an elite ACC. Within the boundaries of whatever you define as sort of the best of the ACC, Clemson's not even that anymore. And I think you're left to wonder, well, given Dabo's you know, aversion to using the transfer portal, you know, given the fact that Clemson, from a recruiting standpoint, you know, not quite maybe what it once was either. If they don't quite have it on the field, can they get it back given how limited they seem to be in terms of their willingness to go out and acquire talent the way other programs seem to want to do that? I don't know. I mean, it certainly seems like the Dabo era as kind of a top flight college football coach is kind of over. Now, he won two national championships. You can't take that away from him. But getting back to that level again, I think it's a far safer bet now to assume that Clemson won't be back there at that level again. And I don't know what that means for the future of Dabo Swinney. But uh, this is a Clemson team right now that is a far cry, far removed from the playoff level team that existed for you know much of the previous years. <laughs> I'm not saying Georgia broke Clemson, but it's important to know. It was only what, two seasons ago to begin the 2021 season that Georgia beating Clemson was about as big a deal as any regular season win for Georgia could have been. Because Clemson had been in the playoff for so many years in a row, had won two national championships, had beaten Georgia head-to-head for some key recruits. And since that game to begin the 2021 season, these have been two teams heading in decidedly different directions. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. I've got one more note I want to give you here in just a moment. Before that, though, let me remind you about our friends at Dr. Pepper. I love Dr. Pepper. You all know that I do. I love college football, and I love that Dr. Pepper and college football are so tied in together there as well. I love all of that, and you're enjoying Dr. Pepper on game days as I am. I enjoy it after every show there as well, Uh, whether it be the Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar, which I do enjoy. Some of you are trying that brand new Dr. Pepper Strawberries and Cream. That's a lot of fun. 
whichever rich one-of-a-kind flavor of dr pepper you like to choose and to enjoy i know you're having a good time with it so if you're out grocery shopping at your local kroger here this week go ahead and pick yourself up some dr pepper because dr pepper is the one fans deserve drpepper.com for more details on all of that all right let me do one more quick note here for a moment we don't talk a lot of georgia baseball recruiting but I believe this is a note worth giving you here to wrap up our show here today. Georgia won a recruiting battle on Sunday for Bryce Clavon, one of the top baseball prospects, not just in our state, but really around the country. And I find this to be fascinating for a lot of reasons. First of all, Clavon is like a potential first-round pick in the Major League Baseball draft. I talked to some people last night. He may actually end up going like, say, second round. There's some – obviously the – the baseball draft is pretty complicated. But this is a guy that played on Team USA in Taiwan uh, a few weeks ago. This is a major, major baseball win for Jay Johnson as he begins his career as the UGA baseball coach. But here's the thing, and admittedly, this is probably why we're bringing this up here right now. Clavon is also a terrific quarterback, and we had him on Peachtree Sports Network Friday night. Obviously, I love all the games we get a chance to do, all the players we get a chance to broadcast. I'm going to tell you, pound for pound, Clavon is as fun to watch on TV as anybody we've had here this season. He had an 85-yard touchdown run on Friday night as um, as Kel beat GAC. And there has been some talk. Now, honestly, it came as a total shock to me that Clavon chose Georgia yesterday. So perhaps other people knew he was coming to Georgia. I did not. But prior to his college announcement, there had been some talk that Clavon might try to be a walk-on football player at whatever football program he goes to because um, uh, he's that good of a player that he would have a chance to be a power five quarterback if not for uh, baseball being in his life and there had been some talk that he might you know be a walk-on uh, you know player wherever he went to school well come to find out that's perhaps George now still get drafted I guess and still go that route you know and may, he may not ever you know be at the University of Georgia but yesterday the Georgia baseball team got a pretty big recruiting win credit to Jake Johnson for that first and foremost as he tries to establish something pretty impressive in Athens and build that program back up but in addition to that if Clavon ends up at Georgia could also benefit the football program as well worth paying attention to and kind of a cool way to close out today's show and for our golden shoe we talked a little earlier about those who try to like start it up with Georgia. Ah, oh, schedule is this and schedule is that, even though Georgia's about to play a whole bunch of ranked opponents here over the course of the next few weeks, and a lot of games are going to get a lot of hype, deservedly so. One of those people you may be aware of is Heather Dinich. Uh, Ryan Walker shared this with me. I guess Kirby's visor put this out on Instagram. Heather Dinich with the clown nose. Uh, and so Heather Dinich's tweet, on championship drive on Sunday, this is going back last week, I said that I had, quote, buyer's remorse about putting Georgia at number one. They lost tight end Brock Bowers' injury now. I have a very difficult time justifying UGA, she says, as a top four team. So that was her last week. Ryan Walker shared this last week. We didn't get a chance to show it to you because my Photoshop wasn't working. Uh, But pretty funny stuff and a pretty good stark reminder of just how silly some of the stuff is on TV. So we'll give out golden shoes there for that. Remind you, our Gator Hater countdown also down to its final days as well. About five days from now, Georgia in Jacksonville beating up on Florida. Again, man, I can't wait for it. It's going to be a great week. A lot of cocktail party talk throughout the week. We'll see you tomorrow at Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia.